0: Hey everyone this is caleb and i am so grateful that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the learner's corner podcast today i am joined by aj harper and we're going to talk about her uh fairly recently a new book called write a must read and i'm going to get into uh why, why are we talking about this today here in just a second? However, if this happens to be your first time listening to The Learner's Corner, I want to let you know about a couple of things uh, that drive a lot of what we do here on the podcast. And the first is this, is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations because there could be a lot of disagreement, but we want to have healthy and respectful disagreement and engage in those types of conversations as well. And that we don't have to see eye to eye on everything in order to be, uh, in order to have a relationship with somebody or to be friends with somebody or um <laughs> yeah we don't have to di- or we can disagree and still be respectful and have healthy dialogue the second one is this is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone regardless of whether or not we agree with them completely or not and then in some cases we learn from people's example of what to do in other cases we learn from their failures and we learn What not to do. And the last thing is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anything and from everything, because everything has something to teach us. Everything has something that we can learn from. Now, today, as I mentioned, I'm talking with AJ. And what really got me interested in this is, one, uh, I have my own ideas that I want to figure out how to be better at communicating those ideas uh, one day in book form. And the other one is this, is that we talk about all of these ideas of, you know, wanting to have uh, conversations around these ideas, being able to learn from a lot of different people about ideas. And you might have some ideas as well that you wish that you could start conversations with. As well. And so, how do you go about doing that? Well, one of those forms is through creating, you know, books, through creating works of art. And that's why I'm so excited to have uh, AJ on the podcast today to talk about how do you do that well? How do you create a must read book, especially uh, for those of us who are really excited or really passionate about the ideas that we have? And we truly believe that they are very important and that they need to be discussed. So that's why I'm so grateful to have AJ on the podcast. Let me tell you a little bit about her, and then we're going to dive right into the conversation. Uh, I do want to mention first, though, is that we cover a lot of different things on the podcast. So if you have someone that you would love us to talk with on the podcast or a subject that you would love us to cover on the podcast, please reach out to me at learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, now let me tell you a little bit about AJ. So AJ is an editor and publishing strategist who helps authors write foundational books that enable them to build readership, grow their brand, and make significant impact on the world. She has done a lot of work with Mike Michalowicz, and they have authored uh, six books together, including Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, Clockwork, and their latest Fix This Next. She has done a lot of ghost writing and has been an editor on many New York Times uh, selling books and authors with millions of books sold. She also runs workshops for helping develop, uh, for helping people who are wanting to develop their craft in writing books. As well, she is also the head writing coach for Heroic Public Speaking and has done, in uh, has done work with uh, TEDx Cambridge as well as part of their coaching team. Now, without any further wait. Here is my conversation with A.J. Harper. Have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today.
1: It's so great to be here. I'm, I'm really excited.
0: Yeah. And just as we're getting started, I would be curious and I would love to hear... Uh, Where did this uh, desire for helping other people create books and, you know, great ideas uh, come from for you?
1: Well, quite honestly, I started out, I switched from playwriting to freelance writing when my son was an infant because I wanted to be home with him. Mm. And uh, I just took any job. So it's not like I started with an idea. Let me help people. I really just wanted to be able to work from home with my son. But then when I started writing books for people, I realized that uh, over time, and there I did I was a ghostwriter for 10 years, I realized that they needed a lot of help understanding the core principles of getting a book done and the foundational thinking that needs to happen before you even start writing. And then I realized that they didn't really understand publishing that well. So I just made it my mission to be of service and educate folks as best I could.
0: Talk to me about. I, I mean, obviously, with this book, you know, writer a must-read. You have written that from your own voice as yep. well, uh, versus doing ghost writing. Can you talk about like the difference that you've seen just <laughs> having to write those things?
1: It's a huge difference. Um, so I've written more books than I can count. I've been doing this for seventeen years, and uh, I still write with Mike McAlowitz, who is a uh, author of several beloved, best-selling business books, including Profit First. And I'm so good at doing other people's voices and then doing his voice that it took me a few months, actually, when I started writing it to even figure out what I sound like anymore. So that was very, very different.
0: Yeah. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that, of, uh, of learning to find your own voice.
1: Well, I feel like I had it before I was a ghost, but yeah. you you know, part of being a good ghost writer is assuming another person's personality and also enhancing it. And I was really good at that, but I sacrificed my own self for it, honestly. And that's one of the reasons I got out of it. Um, So finding my own voice was just about, you have to write through it. So you can't expect it to show up on day one if you've been ignoring it the whole time. Uh, Or let's say you're not a ghost, but you're just trying to figure out what your voice is. You know, we get bogged down from uh, English teachers who tell us one way to write, from our parents. Then we, if we're in a corporate environment, we have to write in that tone. Then if we're academics, we definitely have a very specific tone for that. And I have a lot of students that I work with who come in from corporate or academia and they just can't do their own voice. So it's about writing through it. And that's what I did too. I just kept showing up and writing until finally my voice was there. But there are a few things you can do to find it. One is to just kind of write your little mini, not dangerous manifesto, but little manifesto about what, you know, you're really ticked off about, about your topic, which is usually the seeds of that or the core message you want for your book, something you're really passionate about. But when you write about, I wish this would change. I wish people would stop doing this and start doing this other thing. Very often you can find your voice that way.
0: What helped you? Like, was there like an aha moment to where you were like, okay, I I can tell that I am writing in my own voice right now. Or what helped you figure out that, okay, I I am getting there. I am moving down the path the right way.
1: Um, well, you know, frankly, it was just making myself laugh, (laughs) um, you know, and I am I love to make my own self laugh. I am my best audience. And if I can do that, then I think, okay, we're we're doing something here, we're getting somewhere here. But I think also just remembering who I am as a teacher for authors and making sure that was consistent across the page. So, you know, I'm very realistic and no BS with people, but I'm not hard. I'm really soft and help people in a nurturing way. So just reminding myself okay, these are the qualities that you possess in real life and with your authors. So how can you demonstrate that in the book?
0: Hmm. Were there uh, any other challenges that you just experienced like have like wanting to write your own book yourself?
1: Oh, I had um, too many to count, yeah. <laughs> too many to count. It's really nerve wracking to be somebody who's known for their expertise and then you write, mm-hmm. then your book is about that thing. And so everybody expects it to be amazing. So that's a lot of pressure. Most people, when they're writing, I mean, I've written too many books. I don't even know how many, but this was my first with my name on it. So it was a lot for that, a lot of pressure. But I also experienced a lot of challenges because um, due to COVID and and health challenges with my family, because I was writing the book, started it just before COVID hit. And we had a lot of, you know, I had a lot of moments when I had to write the book in a hospital room. Mm in my car outside a clinic, you know, on the notes app on my phone. Yeah. And so, you know, just staying the course was a challenge, but, you know, I just kept at it little by little.
0: Uh, and if you don't feel like talking about it more, that's fine. Um, but I know that at some point we, we find ourselves to where life is just really hard and yet yeah. you still have to, you know, do the work, go to work, things like that. Was there anything yeah. that just um, like, what helped you in that?
1: Well, you know, honestly, I mean, I have written enough to know, okay, I just have to do a little bit. And I Mm -hmm. think people don't realize how small steps add up, even just a few words or a few notes jotted down. It's keeping your book top of mind so that maybe you don't write a lot that day and you certainly don't love what you write that day, but at least continue something is honestly the key in the book. I have a little section I wrote called life keeps happening. And so will your book. And it's about the experience I had because I had to keep delaying the release of my book. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just very honest about that and what that's like. And I've heard from so many readers about that because they feel guilty that it's not done at the time they thought it should be done. And they feel guilty about life getting in the way, but we're supposed to live our lives. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had to be there for my family. That's understandable. So I just do a little bit, a little bit in the ER, a little bit here, a little bit there. It's all good. It's just believing that even the small things will add up and they do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I want to go back to, um, you know, you talked about the pressure that, that comes, uh, with it as well. Can you talk about how you handled that?
1: Oh, I didn't handle it
0: very well at all. <laughs> I,
1: don't, I don't think I've handled it at all. I think I'm doing a terrible job of uh. it. Um, I guess I thought I, this is where my expertise was and my experience of all these years really backfired on me. Because I thought, well, this will be no problem. Hmm. But the thing is, uh, whenever I let go of a book, then the author I wrote for is responsible for everything that comes after. So I didn't really have anything at stake. Yeah. And having something at stake is is really humbling. So I it blindsided me, hmm. quite honestly. Um, and I just I just do the way I get out of it is I just focus on my readers and and I just think, okay, people need it. Let's just keep moving forward. People need it. Just keep moving forward.
0: Uh, yeah, and that's that's an idea that you talk about it a lot in the book is focusing on the reader and what they mm-hmm. and when what they're bringing to it. Can you talk about just the importance of of just bringing that mindset to it?
1: Yeah. So the core message of my book is that a book is not about something; it's for someone, and that reader first, as I call it, mentality. That mindset shift is a game changer for authors. But also it's more than just a mindset shift, it's a craft. So it's about considering your reader where they are when they start the book, where you want them to get to, and then ensuring you deliver on your promise to them, but also considering them all the way through in terms of reader experience. So what's it like to listen to this or hear this or read this for the first time? What's it like to try and do some of the things we ask readers to do? Um, Is it hard? Is it easy? Where might they have trouble? is this easy to understand? Do you need to change things? Do You need to encourage them here. Do you need to acknowledge something? Are you being inclusive with your writing? All of those things. We sometimes start thinking about the reader and then we forget them. Mm. Not because, you know, we're trying to be selfish. It's just, we're just not taught to think about reader experience all the way through. So that can really up-level any book because when you're mindful of the reader the whole way through, they can feel it.
0: Mm. Yeah. You've, You've given some examples of uh, of what it looks like to think about the reader. What does it look like to not think about the reader?
1: Well, it's just, if you find yourself saying my, my, I, I all the time, my book, my ideas, I think this, I think that, you know, you're not thinking about the reader. It's a simple shift in when someone asks you, what's your book about, which everybody will ask, just reframe it. My book is for. And just keep saying that over and over again with clarity and you'll shift your mindset. But when you're not focused on the reader, you get twisted. You get twisted up in knots because you're wondering, should I include this story? Should I tell this thing? Should I explain this framework? How much content should I put in here? Because you're worried about how you're perceived and your own ego and what matters to you. But when you focus on the reader, then you have all the answers to those questions. So you're not as twisted up in nuts.
0: Yeah. You mentioned, uh, you know, not mentioning I and me and and all of that stuff. Are there any uh, uh, like practices that help you with um, fo- focus more on, on the reader like that?
1: Um, well, I mean, getting clarity about the reader is the first thing. And then considering them the the whole way through, I don't know, it's so ingrained in me. I don't even, I don't have to really remind myself. It's just part of who I am. And there's this amazing thing that happens to my students. I teach a workshop and it's about 14 weeks long and maybe about 11 weeks in, 12 weeks in, they've been hearing me just beat this like a drum, the reader first idea. And then I can see that they have they start to believe it because they start making decisions on their own about their manuscript based on, well, wait, you know, so if, here's an example. Yeah. if um, Should you have an introduction to your nonfiction book or not? It's not automatically yes. So, you know, it might be that your readers need to get to the good stuff right away and they're never gonna read that intro or it might be that they need to see your credibility before they'll decide to read further. So they do need the intro, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'll have, I had a student say, you know what? I've decided not to do an intro because I think my people wanna get right to it. So I'm gonna do this, this, and this. So they see a little credibility in the chapter one. And I think that's the best choice for them but they wouldn't have been able to make that decision earlier. In fact, they wouldn't have even thought they could make it because we get caught in these templates and formulas for writing nonfiction books. And then we think we have to do all of them. So it's great when I see authors finally just totally embody that mentality. And they're always thinking, what does my reader need here?
0: Mm. Uh, there's so many off of that answer. There's so many different directions I could go. I guess uh, one, one thing that I want to ask you is you mentioned uh, the, the templates or the ideas that we can create about books um, I would be curious to hear from your perspective, what are some, uh, what are just some of those templates?
1: Um, Help me understand uh, the templates.
0: I guess, I guess you uh, were saying that there, there were some templates that we could have. Oh yeah. Well, for... so just,
1: it's more like, what are some standard practices and books mm. that we think we all have to do? Yeah. And we don't necessarily all have to do them. Right. So yeah. is that what you mean? You yeah. want to explain yeah. some more? Okay, yeah. Cool. So an example is we we think we need to have action steps in every single chapter in a nonfiction book. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. It's mm-hmm. really about you want to get understanding your reader where they are, the promise that you're going to deliver to them. And then everything else that you decide is about connecting to them and then delivering on the promise. Mm-hmm. So it, is that action step, if they do it, will that help them get to the promise? Then, okay, let's do it. But are you just putting it in because you think you're supposed to have it. And then, you know, maybe you had it in two chapters, but you don't need one on the next one. I've seen authors just put something there. Well, let me just put something there because I need it every chapter. No, you don't. <laughs> what you need is to make sure that the, the things you're asking your reader to do will actually get them where they need to go and aren't just fluff because you think you need it.
0: Uh, you you had mentioned earlier about getting clarity on your reader, the person who you're going after in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, what helps you do that? Or what are some of the practices that you use to gain more clarity about who your reader is?
1: So I know my reader really well, because I teach them every day in my workshop. But if an author is wondering how to figure that out, I always have them think about who they want to serve. And I say it like this. And I say this the same way in the book, who do you want to hang out with for the next few years? Because people misunderstand that this is a short process with getting a book done and out in the world. And once it's out, you still are serving them through engaging with your readers. Maybe you're doing speaking or you're doing coaching or client work or trainings. So it's thinking about, okay, if for the next five years, who do I want to focus on? Who do I want to help hang out with, talk to? Those are your people and you start there. And then it's getting to know what's their main thing that they are struggling with that you can help solve. And what do you know that can be really helpful to them that no one else knows? Then you that way you can zero in on a core message that really means something to them. But you have to start first with, these are my people. I love these people. I want to talk to them, hang out with them, write a book for them, Yeah.
0: Yeah. What and the, honestly,
1: me yeah. me working on trying to write something in an ER is because I know my people and I want to help them, Mm. you
0: know? Yeah. Uh, You mentioned discovering that main thing that they're struggling with. How do you go about like discovering? Is it just simply ask, like asking people who fall into that? Or what does that look like?
1: You know, most of the time we, uh, most people I know will want to write a book because they see something isn't quite working and they know there's a better way. Mm -hmm. So we tend to already have an idea. um, And... um, So, you know, there usually isn't a lot of soul searching there. We just have to get to that gold of, gosh, I wish everybody would do this thing, or I wish everybody would stop doing this thing and then do this other thing. So, you know, you can definitely pull them and see what's top of mind. But I think that a lot of people know already when they want to, if you've got that urge to write the book, you know, there's something that working that people want, that people want to work and you can do something about it. Sure. You can pull them. Absolutely.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to go back to something that you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago. So you talked about uh, the foundation work that takes place before you even write the book, which I think, um, you know, maybe the tendency can be, hey, we're going to write this book and, uh, and that might be the majority thing we're going to promote it. Um, But there could be a lot of work that goes into it before, you know, even uh, starting typing or anything like that. I would be curious to dig into what that uh, looks like for you.
1: What to do before you start
0: typing. Yeah. Or even what, what some of the work, that kind of needs to be done or or is helpful to be done before you even start engaging in uh writing the book like I imagine that gaining clarity around who you're writing for would be one of those pieces what would be some other uh pieces of that
1: so that reader piece is the number one piece and you need to spend some time with that and get to know who they are and then like I said it's crafting a core message that speaks to them but specifically this is where I'm a little different. I think we have to really push ourselves to write a core message that is transformational all by itself. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people get stuck on core message. Um, They get confused. They think it's what their book is about. They think it's the promise. They think it's the tagline. They think it's all these things. And all it really is is a foundational truth that you know would make all the difference for your readers. And if they, even if they only hear that one thing and they don't read the book, they can still make some change. So, you know, when I say a book is not about something, it's for someone, just making that simple mental shift, your book will be better, even if you don't read my book. Mm -hmm. And so it's taking the time to craft a real game changer of a core message, and then you build your book around that. And the third piece is a promise you can deliver, which I alluded to earlier. too often we have a promise that's too big or it's a someday promise meaning eventually you might get this thing what you want is a promise that can be delivered within the pages of the book so the reader reads the whole thing does all the things that you ask them to do and then they turn the last page and something's different
0: uh i i'm not sure if i might I might not know how to phrase this question exactly how I want to phrase it. Um, but, you know, you have your you have your core message. And then under mm-hmm. that, you know, you have uh, um, your your chapters probably each has, you know, maybe an idea or maybe two ideas or however many ideas that each mm-hmm. chapter is about. Um, what helps you figure out or discover, hey, I, I need a chap I need to cover a chapter in this. Or how do you go about discovering like, hey, these are how many chapters I need or even just like discovering how much content you want to cover in the book?
1: It's that's the beauty of this foundational work. So if you know your reader and you know your core message and you know your promise, that becomes a filter. So then you decide, okay, I might want to include this story or this information or this teaching point. Will it help me connect to my reader? Will it help me support and prove my core message? Will it help me deliver on the promise? If you get one yes, then it could go in the book. And the reverse is true. What else do you need to connect to a reader? What else do you need to support core message? And what else do you need to deliver on promise? And that's the stuff that you gather. So it becomes a filter that you you use to decide what do you already have that you want to put in that actually belongs in the book? And what do you still need?
0: Uh, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. I imagine there probably are differences between writing your writing a book for the first time and writing, you know, maybe your second or third or, or fourth book, I'd be curious to explore what, uh, what some of the similarities and differences that you've seen in both
1: for me or for other authors, uh, both. Uh, well, for me, I mean, I'm blessed because I've done this enough time that I'm, I'm not afraid of the creative process. So if there's, you know, if I hit a brick wall, I just know I'll come, I'll keep, come back another day you know if i keep hitting the brick wall i still know it's going to be okay because i understand the editing process which is honestly where books become great is in the editing process so i it's demystified for me so i'm able to trust that i'm going to get there just by following the frameworks that i developed just by caring about my reader i will get there i think a new author is not comfortable with that uncertainty because we're constantly thinking Who's going to read this? I'm not any good at this. And if you also don't know the process, then it's pretty easy to give up on it. I think other authors, I've seen them get a little stuck in book two. They get done with book one. And then book two, they have higher expectations for themselves. Uh, but once they get past that, they're cruising three, four, <laughs> five. They got it.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, what's it? Adv- What's advice that you've heard about, you know, writing books or book publishing or anything like that, that you just wish that you could just correct or go like, that is not, that is not true, or it might be different than what you think.
1: I wish people would stop trying to write a book in 90 days or less. Um, I think we can do a lot of things in in short time frames and constraints are helpful. The reality is that great books are made in editing, and there's a lot of consideration that needs to take place. And I, I think that We're shortchanging authors when we tell them you can do this, you can, but you're not going to get through all the editing steps in 90 days and write it. It's just not going to happen. I also think that we do a disservice when we don't explain that they're giving up stuff when they try to publish in 90 days, like trade distribution, which allows your book to have be where every book everywhere books are sold and a sales team trying to get it out there or say trade reviews in advance you know, critics who are giving you, um, or assessing your book and writing about it and publishing about it, which helps sell books to libraries. You know, there's a whole long list. And I think people omit some of the things that they miss. Yes, you can do it, but should you do it is mm-hmm. the question.
0: Yeah. Is there any, any other advice or, you know, prototypical stuff that is like, yeah, not sure about this.
1: My well, number one is that a book is like, as a better business card. I can't stand that, that I'm on a mission to try and make that so passe that nobody will ever say it anymore. And there's other authors out there who agree with me for sure, mm-hmm. who are book coaches and, and so forth. They're great. Um, like Jenny Nash, um, she's one of them. And um, uh, I just read about, just read about an author who I think her name is Anne. I'm going to get her name wrong. Uh, she wrote, uh, I'm going to get it to you. I'm going okay. get, to get you a list. There's, sorry, I apologize. No. I blanked no. just for a moment there. There's a number of authors who do really great, who write about writing, who do great work. And I think would agree with me. A better business card doesn't make sense because business cards get tossed out. Who wants that? And honestly, the best lead gen is not a book you just threw together. It's a book people love and talk about.
0: Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't be Anne Lamont, would it? Or- oh no,
1: I am. Anne, no, it's okay. not. Anne okay. would probably agree with me. She wrote <laughs> Bird by Bird yeah. for those who don't. Um, she's amazing. The what Probably the best compliment I got was, uh, my, when my editor said, I think this is, uh, this reminds me of Bird by Bird, your book. So I was pretty excited about that.
0: <laughs> oh, that's very high praise.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. But no, it's not, it's not Anne, but, um, you know there's a lot of people trying to do good work out there and change things so that mm-hmm. folks realize that you don't have to compromise i think mean, this is the biggest problem is when we try to write something fast it's i think we're chasing that fear that we can't do it we can't write something great and sometimes it's people just need to get stuff out there and they really don't care if anybody reads it and props to you go do you no problem but if you really care and you want folks to read it, sometimes I think we go to the fast route with formulas and templates because we don't have confidence in ourselves and we don't think that we have enough talent to do it. And the cool thing about focusing on your reader primarily is that your talent doesn't become irrelevant, but it's less important because everything is better when you're just trying to write to the reader every step of the way. And I think those... Sh- Quick programs and templates. I don't know. I just feel like they underestimate people. Uh,
0: What has helped you, or have you seen other uh, writers help them know? Hey, we we have enough content here. It's time to move into the next phase of um, of the book process.
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, You mean when the book is ready to move into editing? Is that what
0: I guess so. I think it's just the point to where it's like, I have, I, I could keep going and you know, there's, there's always maybe more stuff to learn, especially in the nonfiction uh, space. Um, but there is a point to where it's like, it is time. We need to move on at, towards, towards, I guess, towards the editing phase. Yeah.
1: Well, I teach in the book, a system of editing passes for self editing that is very much rooted in the developmental editing. I do so for your listeners Developmental editing is that first phase of editing. It's actually also called substantive editing and the words are sometimes interchangeable, but I'm not gonna get uh, split hairs with your audience. Um, It's basically that 30,000 foot view. It's the editor that helps you make sure your book actually works. Does the structure work? Does it flow? Do you need to clarify things? Are you missing stuff? Does stuff have to go? Does it sound like you all the way through? Does it make sense? Is it the book you envisioned? And a lot of people skip this step when they publish on their own. But if you have a traditional publisher, that's your editor and they'll help you do it. So I teach a process in my book and in my workshop about how to do a lot of developmental work yourself and make sure that your book is the best it can be before you hand it off to your editor. And uh, so I really encourage people to go through that process of a checklist just okay let me consider these things and then once i've done all of these things then let me hand it off to an editor who can help make it better
0: can you kind of tease out a little bit of what that process can look like
1: yeah so i developed the checklist because i was kind of clueless when i first started writing books and i have uh, i have the, that checking kind of ocd you know where you just worry all the time, did you get it right or not? And Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to say anything to my client, because that would totally out me as not having enough experience. (laughs) I just made it started making myself a list of the things I was worried about. Well, what if the reader, okay, I should make sure that this book actually does the thing it says it's going to do. Okay, I should make sure that these stories are, you know, I just kept making a list of the things I should double check and make sure about. Over time, that became my editing method, which is 17 passes. It sounds daunting, but some of them you can do in half an hour. but it's just a way to think about each component by itself. So for example, here's one is doability. So if you're writing a nonfiction book, doing a doability pass and a pass is where you're looking, usually a, a pass is the whole book, but this is where you're just looking at, okay, where do I ask the reader to do something? Can they do it? Is it possible? If not, could I make it more doable, change the time allotment, change the resources, make it shorter? Maybe I need to cut it entirely. And if they, if I cut it, if I get it to a point where they can do it, how can I really sell it and make them actually do it? It's just going through your manuscript and only focusing on doability. Okay. Is this realistic? And then How do I get in front of managing their expectations? So you do that one, then you do the next pass, which might be say about um, clarity and assumptions, just going through and making sure you haven't made assumptions about what the reader knows and making sure that you're being clear. So this is helpful to me and it's really helpful to authors because usually they look at a big old manuscript and say, "Uh, I don't know where, uh, and then how are you supposed to think about all those things at the same time? How do you make sure your book is inclusive while you're also making sure it's doable, where you're also making sure the sequence is right and the tone is right. So it's just thinking about everything one at a time.
0: Yeah. Uh, I would be curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, we've talked a lot about having the, the reader-centered approach. What helps you connect with a reader or write in a way um, that, and I know that we've talked about it a little bit, I would just be curious to hear any other thoughts on, um, what helps you connect with your, your reader? You know, you, you write something and you know, the person reads it and it's like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Or that's exactly what I'm going through.
1: I do a lot of work in the beginning to get, think about the way they would phrase things. So in the book, and there's also a free download on my website of this tool called reader profile, which I created for my workshop. You can just download it for free and writeamustread.com, but it's also in the book. And it's a, just a series of questions that you answer your, about, you know, what are their big questions? What are their big worries? What are they really aspire to? Just really detailed look. And it's not an avatar, like a marketing avatar. It's more mm-hmm. about what's in their heart and what's in their mind. I always say that that's what connects different demographics. It's not somebody who's 45 and drives a Volvo and voted Republican or whatever. It's more like, what do they want? And what's standing in their
0: way? Mm, That's really good. Yeah. We'll link to that. We'll link to those questions in the show notes uh, too. Is there anything else that you wish that um, that authors knew more about just the writing process or the publishing process or anything like that in general to maybe help it not be, um, or just help helping them to do better (laughs) through it all?
1: Well, a lot, I mean, so many things, so many things, (laughs) but I, I wish that authors knew that a, their book is going to get, take shape in editing, that they wouldn't expect it to sound perfect when they first start writing it. About publishing, I wish that they knew that they, um, that there are a lot of different paths and there's, they need to figure out the right path for them, not necessarily follow expert guidance. It's about choosing what's a priority for you and then going that route versus deciding that, throw, throwing out one idea for a publishing path, just because other people said they shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the publishing industry is complicated. It's a big old web. It's, I always say, it's like going to Mars. And we don't, you know, unless you're in it, it's really confusing. So getting as educated as you can about what matters to you is I think important so you can advocate for yourself.
0: I would be curious to hear your thought, especially like working with so many authors and stuff. What do you see that people enter into, you know, maybe, maybe assumptions to where it's like, oh man, I need to focus on this because this is so important. And maybe you're just like, okay, it is not as important as you, you tend to make it to it. Are there any like patterns of that, that you see of like, Hey, people tend to think that this is really important or is more important than it actually is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Amazon bestsellers. I think <laughs> we've been sold a be- bill of goods about Amazon bestsellers, you know, not to detract from people who get, I had some, I had that on my launch day, yep. but I think when we, yes, you can technically call yourself a bestselling author then, but let's be real. It's, you could, you and I, you could transcribe this conversation, get my permission, turn it into a book, put it up on Amazon on Friday and have a bestseller on Monday. If you, choose the right keywords and get 20 people to buy it. So I think people need to understand that that's not the end goal and it's not the mark of a successful book necessarily. What is the mark of a successful book is how many people are reading it, loving it and talking about it. And a book that actually makes a difference for people though, if you really want to sell a book, it's that Amazon bestseller status on a constant basis or a near constant basis that matters, not for one day. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people don't really understand the process. And so they think that it's a, it's going to lead them to something amazing. And it doesn't, it's not a guarantee.
0: Yeah, that even makes me think, and I don't know if you've read this book or not, um, but it's called Perennial Seller and it's by Ryan Holiday. And i
1: haven't read Brian's book about that i haven't read that yet yeah
0: but it's it's about this idea of creating um basically creating works of art you know books stuff like that mm-hmm. um for the long term and not yeah. just so much for the moment can you talk a little bit just about that dynamic of how do you cre- to. yeah
1: <laughs> sorry i interrupted no, you i'm great. very p- passionate about it here's the thing publishing is a long game it is so it's cr- crazy to think, okay, we're just going to talk about this for three months. You know, when your book comes out, that's the starting pistol, not the finish line. That's the beginning. And we don't realize that. So we don't make a plan for that. And the reason why we have to write something that is as close to a must read as we can get a book that really delivers and connects is because that's the book that people say you have to read this. And we have, if we take the time to do that, I mean, it's one thing to have a book and say, I have a book, but if nobody's reading it or talking about it, what does it matter? It doesn't matter at all. And how great is it to have a book where people say, oh my gosh, I love this book. You have to read it. And those, those books stand the test of time and become classics. And they also, people sell a ton of those, you know, you can actually do it, but it's really hard to do if people can't, if people aren't moved in the book where they say, I love that, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, what 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 else have you learned about creating that? Like, I love that feeling.
1: You know, I'm writing with Mike Michalowicz, I've seen the trajectory of his career from nobody bought his first book to, you know, he sold over a million books. People love him. People will buy anything, any book he's got come in that's pre-order instant, and that's because he really cares about them and stays consistent throughout all of his books, focusing on what they need, uh, focusing on what they need next when he decides on a new book, we just started our 10th book now. Um, the passion people have for him, how much they adore him, and that it's carefully constructed in the books we write to make sure that they get exactly what they need from that book in the voice that they're used to getting it in and sometimes um sometimes when people forget that they they don't realize what they're missing out on is that intimate connection you can have with a reader where they just um would do anything for you and i've seen it made his whole life made his whole he transitioned into authorship and uh, he's living his amazing dream fantastical life and that's because of the attention he gives to his readers and in, in the books we put together.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on what does uh, Mike do or people who have experienced, you know, great success like Mike, uh, what do what do they do that, you know, is maybe different than, uh, than the average author?
1: Well, they're definitely committed to writing a great book. So we've already established that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They know their readers really well. We've established that but they also work tirelessly to promote it. And tirelessly doesn't mean hustle culture. I just mean, they're not giving up on that book. They're gonna get that thing sold. Mm-hmm. There's so many authors who write great books and they, <clears throat> they actually hardly talk about it. They don't really sell it. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> successful authors are always working on trying to get their book into people's hands and they're doing it because they know it's a good book. Yeah. So <clears throat> when you don't when you write a book that you're not hundred percent proud of, you are not likely to tell everybody about it. You just kind of mm, oh I don't want to say anything, you know, I don't want to promote myself. But the successful people are always doing it because they know if someone would just read it, it would be a game changer, and that's what they care about. So they stay they stay in it. You know they don't give up.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there anything that uh, like I guess it's kind of like the inverse of the question that they choose not to do that maybe other authors choose to do or they choose not mm-hmm. to focus on versus maybe other authors
1: I think some of the most successful authors I've worked with just really stay in their groove they don't fraction off into all sorts of a million different things that they want to talk about mm-hmm. and they stay trying to serve that audience like we talked about at the beginning of the of the conversation who do you want to hang out with for the next five years? Well, they're thinking much longer term than five years, and they're mm-hmm. staying focused on those people versus venturing off into a million different directions. Mm. Uh,
0: I guess on that, I imagine from time to time there probably there probably has been some instances towards like, okay, this is um maybe new territory for an author of wanting to write about something to where it is maybe there's a little bit outside of their like maybe not like too far out of their lane, but they're like, okay, the, the person that I am writing for um, this is a little bit of a different topic than, than I've maybe written about before, but I know that this is going to serve and help my audience. What have you learned about like navigating, entering into a new space to to help serve your audience in, in a new and different way?
1: Hey, listen, if you're serving, that's all that matters. Hmm. So then it's just about, this is something that I, I talk about a lot in class it, if you don't know a lot about it yet, but you do know that your re- your readers are gonna go nuts for it and that they also will have a great outcome after reading it. If you feel like, hey, I figured this thing out, I don't have it all down yet, but I know if they would just learn about it, this would be huge for them. You have gotta pursue it. And then you show your work is what I call it. So you just say, I don't have this all perfect. I'm learning just like you. I'm maybe two steps ahead of you. We have this fear that we need to be the absolute number one expert and never come off as, you know, confused or indecisive or, or a knowledge, lacking knowledge. And, and the truth is when you humble yourself for your readers and say, I'm super jazzed about this, but I don't really have it on lock. I still want to share it with you. And this is what I know so far, they respect it. So I think that's the key is I've seen a lot of authors who are afraid of the credibility factor. They're afraid they're not credible enough to talk about a topic, but I mean, lived experience is really valuable, but also it's understanding your reader and what they need. That's the thing that matters the most.
0: Mm. Uh, Is there anything else that you would say, Hey, uh, that maybe gets overlooked or undervalued as it pertains to writing
1: underlooked or overvalued in terms of getting a book done
0: in terms of getting a book done or that you just wish that more people would spend time focusing on this things because the um like it maybe it's hard work but the return on investment is great
1: Mm. hmm is this more about the marketing piece and getting it out there
0: uh i'll let you take it whatever direction that you want to Mm.
1: No, I wish people would. Okay, well, let's talk about marketing because yeah. honestly, the the thing that I think is overlooked in getting a book done are the things we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. The foundational piece. Anytime that I was, when I was ghostwriting and developmental editing, anytime a book wasn't working, it's because they did not handle that reader reader statement, core message promise. They didn't have that down. And then their book was usually a tear down. We had to start <laughs> over um, or completely rework yeah. it. In some fashion so you know that is the big thing that's overlooked but in marketing i think we i think i don't think people really understand how books are sold and they don't know how to set a sales goal mm-hmm. so w- there used to be when i started out about 17 years ago there was this myth going around you can write a book and make a million dollars and that's maybe <laughs> yeah <laughs> but they didn't really say what it took to do that right? So they were omitting again, omitting necessary information, which in my mind is like lying, you know. But now it's shifted completely the other direction. You can't make any money from book sales is the myth now. And so you should just focus on getting clients, booking speeches, trainings, that sort of thing. That's also a myth. So like it went from one extreme to all the way over to the other extreme. And the disservice that does to us when we say I'm not, I don't care about book sales, is that means we're not actually going to try to sell it. And that actually filters down to the beginning of the process. If you don't care about book sales, then why would you write a great book? Because do you even care if somebody actually reads it? I just want to get this done, is what they say. We should care about book sales because that means we have readers. That means people's lives are being changed. And I think, well, if we can just reframe that so that we think, okay, I don't know how what my number should be, but let me instead think about the change I wanna see in the world and who can help facilitate it and who are those people and how many of them are there and I'm gonna go get some of those folks. And to think more strategically about the people who can help get the book into your reader's hands versus this sort of big question mark in the sky about how books are sold and maybe if I put it up on Amazon, people will see it. Or if I have a big enough launch, that's all I need. It's really more about thinking strategically about who can help you get the book out in the world and facilitate the change you want to see.
0: Mm, That's great. Well, I know that we've covered a lot of stuff. Is there anything that we haven't covered? I mean, and again, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that we haven't covered in the book uh, too, but is there anything just top of mind that we haven't covered that you want to make sure that we talk about in regards to the book?
1: Yeah. I believe this wholeheartedly. And I think this is important for your audience is I believe if you have an idea for a book that you have the ability to write a great one. Mm -hmm. And I think people question, I don't know, is this idea good or not? I hear this all the time. If you got the idea, then I believe that there's a force, whatever you want to call, I think it's a divine force, whatever, whatever you believe Mm -hmm. that, that inspired you to have that idea and that you are being supported in writing it, and you will find a way. So that's my personal belief. And I want people to know if you get that idea, you already have everything it takes to do it, you might need more knowledge, you might need some people, you're definitely going to need collaborators, because the publishing is a collaborative art, but you can do it.
0: Great. Well, I know that people are gonna, you know, pick up the book, write a must read and keep up with you. Where's the place to go to do all those things?
1: So writeamustread.com is a great resource. There's free stuff over there and rewards and cool things. And then you can also connect with me at ajharper.com.
0: Awesome. Well, AJ, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And thanks for doing the work.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Coming out of that conversation, there's a couple of things that I've been thinking about. And the first one is this. I think of just this idea of having the the reader-centered, focused, and doing the work on the front end to gain more clarity about who are you serving, who are you writing for, and doing the work to understand that going through those exercises. In fact, that's something that I'm going to be doing uh, from this is going through those list of questions that AJ talked about, and again, we'll link to all of that in the show notes. But working through that and really just doing the foundational work of, uh, of yeah, of clarity on the front end of stuff. I think the other thing that she talked about is going through all the different filters of, um, of you know, she talked about the assumption one and uh, the the doability one of having just the different filters to go through and read. Okay, uh, what are what are some of the things that I can go through? On this to to make sure that it is the best book possible. The last thing that I think I want to talk about, or at least that's on the top of my mind, is just the commitment to continue to do the work. And I guess really it just ties back to the clarity on who are you serving? Who are you trying to serve? And letting that be the driver for everything else that you're doing in the work whenever it's it's tough to To go about doing it, and just realizing that's going to take time. You know, there's been uh, one project in particular that I've been working on, and uh, I've just had it. I've had this idea for probably over. I don't know if it's quite three years or not, but stopping, starting, stopping, starting, redoing, rewriting, uh, going back to the drawing board, all of that stuff. And yeah, and I think for me of just gaining that clarity and realizing, yeah, I think that's going to be really helpful for me of working through all that stuff. So that's some of the stuff that I'm learning from, from this conversation. I would love to hear from you in terms of some of the things that you took away or other ideas or subjects or people that you would love us to have on the podcast as well. And the way to let me know about some of the things that you're thinking about is through reaching out to me at learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, I think that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thanks to Sam Massey for providing the music for this podcast. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of the podcast. Thanks to AJ for being on the podcast as well. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.